If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. So we I actually renamed the podcast uh when Surprise, spoiler alert, Sam Chang is my guest today, and uh, I actually changed the podcast name uh, two podcasts ago. I thought about this name, Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan, because of the rotating cast of characters that I bring in, so welcome formally to the Wu-Tang Clan. I'm part of the clan. You're part, well, so my friend was saying uh, on the last pod, Andrew Ramondi was saying how that kind of sounds bad saying welcome uh, to the yeah, yeah. <laughs> based on historical <laughs> right so maybe not say maybe say the full name welcome I'm to part the of Wu- the Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> <laughs> exactly so um yeah so I wanted to have Sam on today so we can t- kind of talk on the eve of the Champions League final Sam's a huge Tottenham Hotspurs fan so I thought it would be really fun to have him on as you guys know I'm a huge Liverpool fan so uh, we'll talk about Champions League stuff. Sam's also my fellow Jets fan. I think uh, in a previous podcast a while back, we, we went over the history, right? Of that and right, we retold. I'm, I'm the sorry, story. I led you down that path. Yeah, and you should feel even more sorry with what the Jets have been going through <laughs> for the past <laughs> couple of mo- uh, weeks now. And then we'll we'll talk that. We'll talk Yankees, and we're we're gonna try try to just jump around and talk about all the sports. So. Actually, before we like get into all the other stuff, I actually have a funny story to talk to all of you guys about. Yesterday, me and Sam actually drove down to the beach house, uh, to my parents' beach house, to spend uh, for the weekend with a, a couple of other people. And what <laughs> it was really funny because me and Sam came a day early on Thursday, and the first game of the NBA Finals was on. And I literally had two IPAs, and then I literally passed out on the couch in the middle of the third <laughs> quarter. So y- you guys know that that that's where my tolerance level is in terms of beer and all that stuff. And we'll, I was we'll, tired. We'll take it slow uh, today. Yeah, we'll take tomorrow. it slow this weekend. So maybe mimosa, light on the mimosas. So, um, yeah, I caught two and a half quarters of the <laughs> of the NBA Finals game. So it was kind of intriguing to see some of the stuff. And then I woke up after, Sam woke me up after. Yeah, I didn't bother waking him up because uh, Toronto was kind of running away with it. Right. So they're kind of running away with it. And Pascal Siakam looked really good or from the he, box. He probably had the best game. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, didn't yeah. see uh, right, right. a quarter and a half, but he was probably the most... Uh, consistent player throughout the game and uh you could tell from a stat line that he was uh he played a way above everyone else on the and court it's kind of interesting because if draymond is on him in that like it seems like draymond's been playing it's going to be playing on pascal siakam and kind of shading off of him and let it, making him take those shots from the outside and and basically forcing him to take those shots instead and walling off uh, Kawhi, and basically it seemed like the objective of the Warriors was to stop um, Kawhi. Yeah. And they did a pretty good job of that. I think he went 5 for 15 or 5 for 14, so he wasn't his usual efficient self. So they uh, they accomplished that, but Fred Van Vliet continued his like hot streak going from the Eastern Conference Finals. And they and Siakam just went off. He was like 14 of 17 uh, from the field, and he probably looked like one of the better better players on the team. And I don't know from your observation from watching the game, did you feel like the Warriors ended up missing KD from all the stuff? Like, do you think his pre- uh, missing, I guess his presence not being there in the game? kind of gave them one less option to go to down the stretch. I mean, you're talking about uh, an all-NBA player, and you're definitely going to feel like uh, his absence. But if you look at the past two series, they've 
they've done pretty well without Katie on the court. And I think the difference in last night's game compared to the past two series is Curry wasn't really hitting as well uh, last night. So, right. Uh, I think the Warriors all together, they were not really firing on all cylinders. And the Raptors, on the other hand, they were on their A game. So, if the Raptors are like this all series, I, I could see them winning, but they have to continue playing perf- perfectly. Because even though the Warriors weren't really in it, they like for how poorly they played, they were still like within striking reach. Yeah. distance. Yeah. And what I found fascinating pregame when we were watching like the pregame show um, before all the before the game ended up starting you kind of saw the predictions of the experts. Paul Pierce ended up predicting the Raptors in six. I think Jalen Rose had the Raptors in seven, former Raptor there. And Chauncey, Chauncey depends would, on KD. And that, and I like how Michelle Beadle kind of called him yeah. called him out on it. Like, come on, you got to yeah, you got to give like a real answer. So, um, it's it's kind of fascinating to see some of the experts, even though Pierce has been god awful at predictions this postseason, that. They're kind of, I guess they're going with the Raptors because of the KD injury and all that type of stuff. I, I mean, in the last podcast I had before the series started, I had Raptors and or um, I had Golden State and six, and I'm pretty confident. I'm still pretty confident in that prediction. I just think it. I think that this plays perfectly to the KD story. Yeah. So your team loses game one. If you come back game two and they run away with it, yeah, I mean the worst possible thing for the KD for KD would have been Golden State to sweep yeah. uh, the Raptors just because it would have been like oh they really didn't need KD in that situation. So I I think it really fits in well with the narrative, and I wonder I wonder when he ends up coming back um, to play because I think that'll be fascinating to see and what types of changes um, offensively they make in, in his return. And we saw a little bit of DeMarcus Cousins, even though it was kind of like it was only like four quick – or it was like eight minutes in total, I think it was. Yeah, I I think it all come down to the role players. And we saw last night Toronto, all their role players were fulfilling their duty. And uh, we'll see when KD comes back. I think that will play a big part as well. But – uh, I think we're looking at a pretty good series. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I think we're looking at a really good series. So I guess the real reason I want to transition, and the real reason why I brought Sam on to the podcast today was to talk about the Champions League final tomorrow, uh, Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'm really excited to watch this game because it involves our two teams. It involves Liverpool and uh, Tottenham in the finals. In uh, It's in Barcelona, correct? Or Madrid, Barcelona, one of the Spanish cities. Uh, Madrid. Yeah, yeah. So it's in Madrid. So I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating matchup because Liverpool and Tottenham are very familiar with each other, being in the same coming from the same league and all that type of stuff. And me and Sam have an interesting bet on the game. So whoever ends up whoever's team ends up winning uh the other person has to buy them peter luger so that's on the table There's a lot right on the now line. that's i mean it's not it wouldn't be a bad way to i mean it would be nice to get a free steak so yeah. I, that's right. that's never uh, a problem never never a bad thing but so i just kind of wanted to get sam's inside perspective on on how he feels about this run that Tottenham's made throughout the Champions League. And, I mean, this, I think Sam's a fairly recent fan, but this is pretty, this type of run run for Tottenham would have been inconceivable probably five years ago. Yeah, I mean, look at the trophies in their cabinet. There's nothing really to show for. Yeah, yeah. And for them to kind of come out running like this is been a it's been a miracle pretty much yeah especially i mean we're talking about this yesterday in our uh when we're getting dinner but we're talking about how um just how how inconceivable or an improbable the run runs for both teams looked coming out of the group stages especially with 
both teams kind of struggling to make it out of their groups. Yeah, we had to wait. Both both teams had to wait on the last day to really squeak it through. And if you look at Tottenham's path, three of the games, they could have potentially been eliminated from making it to the round of 16. So the fact that they're here, uh, like, let's not forget about the semifinals. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, like it, it was still an improbable run that they've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. And like, can you take me through like your emotions when watching that semifinals, that second leg when Lucas Mora ends up, I mean, he had, had that hat trick, but he, that last goal, uh, literally, at the last second, the last play of the game for him to score. Like, what were your emotions when watching? So all the that? Uh, the unfortunate thing is, I had a dentist appointment, so <laughs> oh I, no. I left my house. Uh, they were down two nothing. Uh, Zayac just scored a goal. So you were kind of resigned so like I was like, all right, l- I better get going. Like, uh, I don't know if they really have a shot in this. And then I'm following on the way home from uh, my appointment. I'm like. Mora scored. Okay, uh, I guess they're somewhat in this. And then, uh, like minutes later, another notification. And then, like, uh, and then I saw like uh, his last goal. I was like, I couldn't believe it, especially after what the the Liverpool game the day before. Yeah, against Barcelona. I'm like, oh, this yeah. is happening again. Like, you can never count out uh, a Champions League game because of yeah. that. Yeah, and, like, those two games of soccer were probably... It was it was probably two of the most exciting days in uh, Champions League football, like, history. Just the, the way both those teams were able to come back. And it was just incredible to see, like, that type of performance from both teams. And I, I don't know. I just felt like... You know, there's this, I guess, from like a a big picture standpoint, you kind of see uh, the return of English Premier League football and like their dominance in terms of Chelsea. You look at the Chelsea uh, Arsenal. FA Cup. Or, yeah, uh, the Europa, Europa Cup. Cup. Yeah. yeah. So and, the uh, Chelsea, yeah. that was an all English final. Exactly. You this look at the Champions League, all English final. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see. English Premier League kind of come up on top and it's it shows the depth that the league has and I mean Chelsea ends up beating Arsenal feel bad for Arsenal fans sorry uh Andrew Kim and John Kim uh for their Arsenal fandom that (laughs) yeah I just feel bad for them because they will not be playing Champions League football next year so that's going to be tough for them but I just felt watching like being able to see both of these teams week in and week out and following both clubs pretty regularly because I follow the Premier League and Fantasy Premier League, all that type of stuff. It's really cool to see them on this big world stage. And I think to, I guess to give it context for a lot of people, the Champions League final is equivalent, I would say, to like the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, for, for, for all of Europe, for all of Europe, basically for the rest of the world. Like, I think they get over a hundred million viewers watching the game, um, which is similar to Super Bowl numbers. So that's like the equivalent, um, in terms of the spectacle of the event and what, how big and how meaningful the event is. So Liverpool, to give it context, is going for their sixth European Championship, and Tottenham's going for... This is their first ever final, so yep. if they win, this would their, be their first uh, Champions yeah. League trophy. Yeah, so I think it would be... Re- it's it's a really fascinating, like, I think all the storylines coming in. Obviously, our countryman, or Korean <laughs> guy, Son Heung-min, will be on the field, so that's... Another exciting like subplot for Tottenham. He's as the well. uh, second Asian to be in a Champions League final. Yeah, following Park Ji Sung. So it's just fun to kind of see um, like Son Heung Min be on that world stage as well, and he's been like a really key component of that of this Tottenham team, and one of I would say one of their star players, right? Yeah, uh, he's definitely r- risen to that level, and. Uh, He's showed consistency over the years, and I think this year he's gotten a lot more starting time. So 
let's see if he could show it on the biggest stage of them all. Yeah, so what do you think about, I guess, Tottenham's strategy kind of getting into the X's and O's of the game? What do you think their strategy is kind of going into this game? Do you think they'll be sitting back a little bit more? Or, like, do you think they, they'll be pressing high up the field? Or is it going to kind I, of be a grinded-out type of I game? I think they'll continue to play kind of their high-press style and... uh you kind of have to, f- with Liverpool, you kind of have to fight fire with fire. You mm. can't really sit back on them. I think the last game they had a back five, and Liverpool was pretty much picking them apart. They had a lot more chances than Tottenham had. So uh, you kind of have to play to your strength and really fight Liverpool's strength with with a high press. Right, and I think the interesting storyline there is going to be the return. Like, there's... Uh, the return of health for Harry Kane and seeing whether or not he ends up getting the start because he hasn't played a m- he hasn't played a game in over two months I believe I think yeah the last think, time uh, he's played it was April fifteenth or so uh, it was against uh, Premier League game in uh, versus Man City so it's been a while since he's had on field action yeah so I wonder how I guess I wonder how comfortable Pochettino would feel putting a player that isn't in form and is just coming back from injury on the biggest stage. And obviously Harry Kane is one of probably the best player on Tottenham when he's healthy, but the maybe the lack of match fitness slash the lack of sharpness that he might have during the game might factor into Pochettino kind of starting him uh, yeah, like what are I you think, what are your feelings on like do you do you get the sense that he'll get the start or not or uh, well, po- pochettino has been kind of clear through the media he'll have to live and die ultimately w- what he decides to do with harry kane so he is like the cornerstone of your your team and i think i think he has to go and start kane because if they go ahead and lose i think he'll get a lot a lot more slack for that mm. rather than having started and them losing. Do you think maybe I, I'm I, I could also see Kane coming off the bench maybe if they're down or even if they're up like in the 75th minute give them like 15 20 minutes and then if it goes into extra time play the rest of that. Like I I don't I think it's fairly risky to start him especially with him coming back and I think that is gonna and and they made it to the final without him. Yeah. Like, and they had a good thing going with Mora. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying they would sit back, but I think they would be a little bit more content in a and in, in counter in playing counter attacking football against Liverpool mm-hmm. because I think Liverpool is vulnerable to that, especially when the fullbacks like Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander Arnold push forward they yeah. push fo- really so high up their the their biggest pitch. strength can also be their exactly. weakness as well yeah so i would be a little bit wary of maybe the speed in behind of using son and lucas mora yeah. um and their speed so that's a possibility they've definitely played with a lot more pace without kane in the lineup but i don't know i i've heard he's been match fit uh, I, that doesn't really mean like he could still be rusty being out that long. Right. And training is always different than actually playing yeah. games. But I don't know. I think uh, you kind of have to live and die with uh, kind of the cornerstone of your team. Mm. And yeah, I think it'll be that's going to be an interesting matchup. Is there like one specific key like matchup that you're looking forward to seeing? Like, what player performs against the Liverpool player? Uh, well, you've seen Andy Robertson throughout the Premier League and how lethal he has been. Yeah. And uh, you you look at our right-back trip here, and him matched up with Robertson, I think you have to really watch out how they exploit him because he is a defensive liability. We've seen throughout the Champions League as well as the Premier League uh, what a weakness he could be, but... He he does provide a uh, good uh, crossing on the offensive end, but you have to worry about him as a defensive liability. So I think that's a key matchup that we have to look out for. Yeah, and I think those matchups are going to be really fascinating on both flanks. On um, even on the other side with Alexander Arnold uh, versus 
Danny Rose, like that's a premier matchup as well. Like those fullback matchups and whoever can kind of impose their will and pin the other opposing fullback back into their own half, I think is going to be the key in terms of that. Because and, and that's the worry that I have as a Liverpool fan. If they end up pressing so high up the fit field, Tottenham can kind of play through Son um, and use his speed on that left wing in be in behind on um, Trent Alexander Arnold and Alexander Arnold isn't the best defensively. I would mm-hmm. say he's a far more accomplished attacking player than a defender at this yeah, point I in would his ag- career. I would agree. Um, so that might be the worry there for me that Son might kind of take advantage of um, Alexander Arnold's positioning up the field. That that's probably the worry. I I just hope Van Dyke's able to kind of cover for that. But yeah, they're. Center backs have been pretty amazing this year. And, yeah, uh, Van Dyke's changed everything. To Liverpool. consider Liverpool as the top Premier League defense, uh, I think it's kind of come crazy. a long way. Yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. Uh, over the past couple of years, it hasn't been great. And um, you're not looking at the the Lovren and uh, Moreno Moreno days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I am very happy we're past that. Um, I guess the one worry for as a Liverpool fan that I have, maybe not even tactically, but it's kind of like bad, like juju is like Klopp has kind of struggled in his career in finals. In the Champions League, right. especially. So he even going back to his Borussia Dortmund days, he ended up losing that final against Bayern Munich. He lost a Europa League final against uh, Sevilla with Liverpool. He ended up losing last year against Real. So I'm I'm curious when the breakthrough is happening. Maybe it's just kind of bad luck. And he's had, I guess, I would say in most of those games, he's had the worst team on paper. And I, I would say this is probably the first game he's... Yeah, they're, go, they're, they're favorite. favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're favored going into the game. So I wonder if that's like a little bit of a difference um, going into the game. And I I guess maybe that's what I'm worried about. And then the only other thing, I'm curious to see who Liverpool ends up starting in the middle of the field in that trio of a midfield, in their midfield three. And I'm curious, it's already been ruled that Nabi Keita is out. So yeah, I wonder who, if it's going to be some combination of Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, or Fabinho ends up playing in that middle. I wonder, like, out of those four, who the three play? Who who of those three play? And I, I know Firmino's um, fit to come back, too, so he'll definitely be starting yeah, he'll um, at be forward, too. So, yeah, I, I wonder who those three play. I think you'll see traditional 4-3-3. I would say... Henderson, Will Naldum, and Fabinho. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if Milner plays in there just because he's kind of been like... He has that big game. Right, he has that experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's in there for Fabinho and then Henderson kind of takes that defensive midfielder role type of spot. And if you look at their last game against Tottenham, Milner was a key X factor in that game as well. And you know he's going to be able to put in a really good shift of running and kind of like covering a lot of the space um, in the middle of the field. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic about this game. Like I, I feel comfortable that Liver, Liverpool has a better team, but you just never know in a one-off game, especially in a Champions League game. Right, so anything you, can happen. Right, anything can you happen. Saw from so, the semifinals. Yeah, so you just never know what can happen. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like fruitless to kind of to give our predictions because we're probably rolling with our teams unless. One of us just wants to yeah. buy the other person's <laughs> stake at Peter Luger's. Um, but how do you see the game going? Um, well, I I think it'll depend on uh, whether they sh- wh- whichever don't pull team a strikes cha- early. Don't pull, no, pull no, no, a Chauncey no. Bill up, Sonny. I'm getting to the, I'm getting <laughs> to the point. Uh, if they strike early, and uh, I think if we do see a goal in the first 10 minutes or so, I think you could probably look at a 3-2 type of score. And, uh, of course, I would favor Tottenham in, in that final prediction. But um, I 
I hope we see goals. Yeah, I, I hope it's not like one of these grinded out games, but I yeah. hope it's like a pretty action packed. I don't I don't game. think either team will sit back. I think it will be a fairly uh offensive game. Yeah, I think it's gonna go like three two Liverpool, like something like that. I hope yeah. it's like a something like action packed, high powered offense, a lot of like free flowing football. So that's what I'm definitely looking forward to. Yeah, their their last matchup uh, although the score was 2-1, uh, you saw a ton of chances on both sides. Uh, hopefully we see something like that. Uh, I know that was an unfortunate uh, last-minute goal. That bobble. Yeah. That was great. Loris should have <laughs> held on to that. But, yeah, it didn't end up in a draw. But this is a, a, a higher-stakes game, and hopefully Tottenham can pull through. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch the game. We'll be watching together, so we'll be – both sitting on the couch stressing together uh during the game someone will end up being sad at the end of the day yeah hopefully i'm not asleep after my (laughs) uh, second beer tomorrow so it'll be fun to uh watch the game and see what ends up happening but i guess on to sadder news um well how about you uh you gotta predict uh i think it's gonna be three two liverpool okay yeah so three two uh we each have our way right right yeah so i think it's gonna be three two liverpool so yeah, I was just thinking about the impending doom of the, <laughs> the New York Jets, so that's kind of where that sadness, okay. a sad tone nice, was taking uh, place. Segue. Right, exactly. So, with the Jets, I don't. What do you even do with this team, Sam? Like, as a fan of this team, like, do you want to just kind of like? I guess we haven't really talked about it on this podcast. We haven't talked that much NFL off season on the on this podcast yet. Like, I guess. We could kind of talk about, I mean, the draft and all this type of stuff, but I wanted to talk about the Jets and use the Jets um, as the as the team and as the prism um, of as the way that we talk about the NFL as a whole, and it just kind of it's been a disappointing off season for the Jets. I think they've gotten some talented players. It's just the way that management has been handled and how ownership has handled management has kind of been perplexing to me. Um, So timeline-wise, I guess even starting from last year at the end of last season, they end up getting rid of Todd Bowles. And then the Jets kind of go through this merry-go-round of interviewing coaches and things like that, and they end up settling on Adam Gaze, which I'm... Like, at the time, I wasn't a huge fan of just because of there were there were just like a lot of other names out there. I thought they would get like a you're leaning I, towards McCarthy. I, I think yeah, I time. think I, I was leaning towards McCarthy just because like he kind of established himself His track record. Right. And the fact that we've seen what Adam Gaze is yeah. within our own division as a Dolphins coach, I was like not that excited Um about it but then like all the vibes coming out of jets like mini camps and like otas and all that type of stuff seemed fairly positive like oh gaze is gonna get a lot out of uh sam darnold and like really develop him as a quarterback and there's all these stats about how gaze when he was a offensive coordinator with the broncos and with the bears and all that stuff and the the numbers that uh, Peyton Manning ended up putting up with the uh, the Broncos and Jay Cutler ended up putting up with the Bears was fairly positive. So there was some good things there that I was looking forward to, but I just couldn't get over the track record that he ended up having with the Dolphins, even though he lost Tannehill and kind of had to call, call in uh, Jay Cutler from uh his reality tv show basically so it was just kind of funny to like know that he was our he was our coach so that ended up happening and then with all that coaching circus ending up happening hiring of gays mike mccagnan who is the former now the former gm of the of the jets he was the one that was hiring gays ending up making all the draft picks and the draft personnel decisions um, in the current in this past current draft um, in 2019. And I just felt like 
to let him go two to three weeks after the draft and fire him. It, it just it didn't no make sense. It didn't make sense, even though I thought they should have probably let him go at the end of the season. Yeah, it if you're going to fire Bowles, you might as, fi- might as well fire McCagnan. Right, together. and it just made no sense to me that they let him go through the free agency process, signing all those players with the cap space, and then firing, and then basically going through the draft process and then firing him two weeks later. It just made me feel like, like ownership was just saying, hey, well, we're going to let him go through all of this to make all these decisions for us, and then we're Yeah, gonna- I think Gay is kind of put in a word with Chris Johnson, and he's kind of known as a dictator type of figure, very micromanaging uh, coach. And to do this after the fact of going through free agency and the draft, I it does not make sense at all. Right. There was that kind of like story between... The little rift. Right. But they kind of shot that down but i guess it was an actual rift yeah so it, it's fascinating to see like the dynamics and the politics that are going around um in the jets organization and like that whole i think also another layer of this is adam gaze was given the interim role as the gm and he started making moves darren lee ends up getting traded we to the got chiefs, nothing for him and which Chiefs got a, a hell of a player I yeah, and I think he's, like, a decent player. He's, he's um, not a scheme fit r- as of now, but I think he would have served better than a six-round pick that we'll get nothing. for next year. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, so I just felt like there was no value that they got from him. Might as well have just played him, but Gaze decided he didn't like him that so much. I, apparently, uh, kind of the rift between them is a little bit over... McCagnan not being a really decisive person. So uh, Gaze, as you saw, he pulled the trigger on this trade right away. I think McCagnan, uh, he's a little indecisive. And you saw from free agency, we lost. Uh, we, we didn't win uh, Anthony Barr or Matt Paradis. So right. uh, that apparently ties back to him being indecisive. Mm, that's kind of interesting. And like the Barr situation makes it seem like it's not the Jets' fault just because yeah, he I decided he to... wanted to go back right, to Minnesota. Kind of use the Jets as leverage to well, I kind think of that was a real pain point in their relationship that they right. didn't pull, uh, pull the trigger I right think away. pulling the trigger on the center was the tough one. Like, yeah. really having Jonathan Harrison as the, as the starting center going into the season seems like a bad... Like, it just seems like a bad plan, even as, especially with the amount of money that the Jets had signing someone. I think he only received, uh, was it nine, nine mil annually? Yeah, or? from Carolina when yeah, the Jets had the money to spend. And Paradis, before he ended up getting injured, I believe, was like ranked one of the best centers um, on pro football focus. So it's like, it, it I, I don't know, it just didn't sit well with yeah. me that they didn't find they anyone at that center position. Uh, added a uh, one or two mil to that contract and probably gotten him. Right. So, uh, uh, and then even just taking a bigger, f- like, outlook on maybe how management styles end up working in the NFL and, like, how a coach and a GM coexist in their relationship and how that ends up working. It just didn't seem like the right fit. And that goes back to me saying they should have let go of McCagnan when they let go of Bulls so that the new GM slash coach tandem would have been tied at the hip yeah, um, together. So whoever they're, they hi- end up hiring, I think you're looking at a yes-man type of situation where Gaze will ultimately dictate wh- who the personnel will be. Right, and I, I think that's where the power struggle that's going to be going on within yeah, this team. You, and you had at least a unbiased figure in McCagnan where right. he could put in his input without Gaze's, uh, I guess, controlling power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd just rather have both the coach and then the GM or th- whoever's in charge of the personnel decisions being on the same page so that they know, like, 
the personnel guy could kind of know what the coach is looking for and yeah. and whether or not there's a scheme fit there and I think you're all you're that losing that kind of uh unbiased check on gays uh I think uh now that McKagnon is gone. But uh at, at least uh <laughs> there'll be an ag- agreement, uh whoever they hire. Right. So it's I think that's fascinating. We didn't even get into the levy on Bell gaze comments and yeah. like all that type of stuff where there's this report of Adam Gaze saying like I would never spend that much money on yeah. Le'Veon Bell and it doesn't help that Le'Veon Bell hasn't showed up for OTAs at all. I think that's um, his style, but uh yeah, it's not a it's not really the best look as especially a new for franchise a new, player. Right, new franchise player. Um he like looking back on it, he probably regrets kind of giving up that money because the money that he ended up getting with the Jets, I would say while it's a lot, I think it's definitely under the under the value that he thought he was going to be getting yeah. on the open market. So considering the deal that he got, I think the Jets made out pretty well compared to what the Steelers initially offered Bell. Right. I think it was fairly similar or even maybe it was a little bit more, but it wasn't like a gr- like yeah, that I egregious. Think Bell was bank like banking on someone like rolling out money bags for him and yeah, he was it, it didn't it didn't play off play out like that this offseason. Yeah, and I I think he kind I think that's kind of like the whole NFL taking this outlook on running backs and it being a devalued position. I and think that her whole uh, girly situation hurt him too. Yeah, uh, the girly situation. He, he didn't even play in the playoffs. Right, and the way Belichick kind of um, uses his running backs out um, for the Patriots, I think that whole evolution of the position kind of has changed it to running favoring back by committee. Right, favoring running back by committee. Yep. So we there was that, and then even like side stories of like the Joe Vitt, Greg Williams type of uh, thing, them being both on the same coaching staff. And a couple years back, Bounty Gate, uh, yeah. that was... Not really the most wholesome right. person that I, you're... Uh, exactly. At DC. And to have our defensive coordinator and the guy that ended up like turning him in, basically, uh-huh. being on the same coaching staff is kind of perplexing to me. It just yeah. seems like... There's so many things I that heard, can uh, go bad with that. The, it just the, the caveat of becoming the Jets coach, it involved uh, Greg Williams being the defensive coordinator. So that's something Gay is new going in. He right. wouldn't be dictating that. Right. It didn't seem like he brought in his guys. I yeah. know I'm saying this with their quotes, but... I think you're looking at an offensive head coach and a defensive head coach, basically. It's two very alpha personalities, and... Gaze, of course, is uh his specialty is uh, is on offense, and uh, Greg Williams, he's a defensive mastermind. Right. So I yeah I kind of have that feeling of like it's right, kind of two separate yeah. teams. Yeah. Basically, so it I think it calls for a really fascinating season to come up because it's really important. Sam Darnold's going into his second year. It's going to be really important in his development. Um, to avoid that sophomore slump and really make huge strides moving forward to becoming um, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And you kind of saw that, like, Mahomes ended up having, like, an otherworldly second year. And I I think if you look back in NFL careers, like, if you're a good quarterback, they end up – you usually see, like, a huge progression in, in – players second years like I think Carson Wentz ended up having like a huge step up even Jared Goff he looked like a really good quarterback in his second year as well your sophomore year is very important to kind of where you you trend towards right so I hope Gaze is able to kind of have that and all the reports coming out of like OTAs have been saying that Darnold has looked really really good and competent so I hope that continues and I guess on the defensive side of thing Jamal Adams has kind of really taken up the mantle of leadership there and yeah apparently I, I read a, a press report uh for one of their practices uh since Gaze was in their division for three years uh uh 
Uh, Jamal Williams has seen a lot of tape on him. He's played against him a number of times, and he he apparently was calling out the plays before they were like uh, hiking it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I, Gaze was impressed by that, but uh, I don't know. Uh, he seems like he's the leader of that defense right now. Yeah, yeah. So I I feel like Jamal Adams is like definitely one of those guys that's gonna be. Um, I hope stepping up, taking these leadership type of roles uh, for the Jets. And he's like, he's done his like free agencies that like recruiting yeah, pitches so he's on Instagram very, and all that type uh, of stuff. Passionate about getting the best players around him. Uh, you saw CJ Mosley signed over the offseason. Right, right. Uh, he got a ton of money. So that probably was a good motivation as well. But. Uh, you're, you're seeing the right leaders uh, being instilled on this defense. So. Yeah, and I think this, like, everyone's kind of, like, even in, like, these early predictions post uh, free agency, like, the first wave of free agency and post um, um, draft, a lot of people have talked about the Jets being potential sleeper uh, candidates for the playoffs. How do you kind of foresee something? Like, how do you foresee the Jets um, doing this season? I, their schedule's out. The first, I would say, half of this half of the schedule is going to be really tough for them, and is I think going to determine whether or not they even have a shot at making the playoffs. Yeah, so I think the two X factors. Let's split it: offense and defense. Offense, uh, of course, Sam Darnold, but I think we look at the line in terms of that's the that offensive Ooh. that offense will succeed. Defense, I think, cornerback is a big question mark. I think they they have a lot of talent in other positions, but is Tremaine really the guy that we signed f- uh, signed for last off season? Uh, will he actually prove his contract outright? And the guys behind him too are. Sp- Fairly unproven. Like they signed Brian Poole um, to be the slot corner. Yeah, they um, have Daryl Roberts from last year. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, secondary. I mean, uh, the cor- cornerback position is a big question mark right yeah. now. Yeah, and I'm curious to see if they like bring back Mo Claiborne or if that's I, like I wouldn't a, be opposed to that. Yeah. So I even though he wasn't great last year i just think it would be another guy to kind of put in there yeah. who's like i don't familiar think familiar with the jets much, exactly with the cap room that we have right exactly so i think i i'm excited about football to start up again but at the same time like the jets draw like they've been the center of like all nfl offseason yeah, stories I, after uh the daniel jones pick i thought oh we're finally in the clear of uh the circus media circus but uh you you saw the gm situation unfold and yeah. we're, we're back to the laughing stock i know it's it's kind of hilarious like i thought the giants have took the mantle from yeah. us in new york we did a little like uh man uh hold my beer yeah basically so it was yeah post daniel jones i was like all right we're in the clear and then all this stuff happened so definitely wanted to get sam's uh intake on all that type of stuff just because or input on all that because of all the stuff and i know his fandom for the jets is huge so it's interesting getting that type of perspective yeah, um, even though I them. love them, I could be quite honest about where I think they are at. Right, and then there's, like, Jets fan. Like, you'll read the message boards of Jets fans being like, oh, if you're criticizing the Jets, why are you even a fan? Yeah. Well, because it's there's incompetence there. Yeah, so you that's, could be unbiased in your opinion. Exactly. So you got to be very, I don't know, Subject- level-headed yeah. and subjective about it. Um, is there any, like, other... NFL news that kind or trends or anything like that you kind of see that are fairly fascinating because I think for me what's really interesting lately has been like seeing what like the Cleveland Browns can do with with the amount of talent they've brought in and then also like the I I feel like trades have become like more popular nowadays um, especially with the uh, Odell Beckham trade, all that type of stuff. Um, Antonio Brown getting traded to the Raiders, like all these star wide receivers getting like moving different teams. It's it's fairly fascinating to see um, the trade market heat up, and 
I guess, like disgruntled players kind of forcing their way out um, to different teams. Yeah, I, I don't think it's bad to see the players getting more power because you look at all these professional leagues and all these owners and uh, front offices, they they usually have the leverage in most of the situations. But you see with the A-B trade, players can kind of find their way out of a franchise. And uh, although you could, as a fan, you could be like, oh, you are disloyal to your team, but... How many times do we see players cut just on a whim? And so true. Uh, like franchises are not loyal to players, and nor do the players have to be loyal to their team. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's really true. the The Cleveland Browns team looks like the hot, sexy pick to to yeah. be like. Right. The, Remember the what? Uh, just they've been the worst team for the longest time, and yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of happy to see that they're going somewhere positive. And yeah, I, I'll be they're really being fascinated. looked at as a dark horse for this year. Yeah, I'll be really fascinated to see like how that team comes together. Um, they have like all the pieces in place to be a really productive offense, and defensively, they they've added pieces as well. So, I'm I'm curious to see like if it's gonna take a little bit of time for them to all congeal and like work together or if it's going to be something that comes together fairly quickly um and like if i were choosing like a hard knocks pick i would love to see the inside of that team uh, again last year's hard knocks was pretty good the jarvis landry uh like i I don't i don't know if there's like uh some clause about two uh, years in a row but i i'm anticipating a different team yeah yeah they would be a fun team to watch uh, yeah the Jets drama would have been hilarious to see as well so both teams it would have been really really funny um I mean other than that it's been fairly quiet were you so were you happy with the Quinn and Williams pick that first pick for the Jets yeah I mean I think well McCagnan made that pick and uh, I kind of his strategy for the first PPA best player available and uh uh, from a lot of the draft scouts, uh, he apparently was the safest pick. So uh, it it was definitely not not our highest need, but I'm not upset about the pick. I'm not upset about it, but it's just so it's like I think jet- jo- Josh Allen would, of course, have been as an edge rusher, been the better fit. But right in terms of pure talent, I heard he was kind of a can't miss uh Quinn and Williams was a can't miss prospect yeah it's just kind of funny though the Jets have like chosen so many interior type of linemen yeah guys like he's like the next guy after Mo Wilkerson Sheldon Richardson they had Leonard Williams and now they've chosen chosen Quentin Williams all in like the first round so it's it it, it just makes it seem like they're like at least as a Jets fan, they're a dime a dozen type of thing, yeah. and I like the Jets haven't had an edge rusher in God knows how long. John Abraham, Sean Ellis, like I mean, I think with that pick, you're probably seeing a lot more three four. I I think there was kind of conversation would they mix in more four three packages uh, this with year with uh, Greg Williams. Yeah, coming but in, yeah. I, I I think he's pretty flexible in terms of scheme. And uh, I think with that pick, you're probably looking for more 3-4 play. Yeah. And I, I, there was this kind of interesting, I would say, sentiment that I was thinking about and looking at all the players that Indianapolis drafted with the draft capital that the Jets gave them. Uh, they got Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, at last year for the picks that we traded him yeah they had a really good draft last year and also this year i think they did pretty well yeah with the second round picks that we gave him so it's like gave him an all pro guard all pro linebacker and then it's it's like would the jets probably be better off with those two players they they would have fumbled those picks right uh, we we ended up getting darnold yeah so so can't complain can't complain as long as darnold turns out Please God, let him turn out okay. I I I have faith in Darnold. I I know like uh, Jets fans would say that with Sanchez, but I was never really sold on Mark Sanchez as a quarterback. Yeah, so I I really hope Darnold's able to continue what he showed, and at the end of last season and kind of continued that streak. 
I feel like that's enough Jets talk. Like, I, I don't know. We don't, don't want to bore the, the yeah, fan base. Don't want to bore the fan base. Don't want to bore the, the, the listeners. Wu, do you have a name for your, your Wu-Tang Clan uh I feel like they're listeners? part they're all part of the clan. Oh, okay. now. They're all part of the Wu Tang clan. <laughs> I gotta be ca- I gotta be careful with the wording. Yeah, yeah. They're all part of the Wu Tang clan. Okay. So um yeah, I, I just felt it was fun to kind of rename it like that. Um give it a little different flair and everything. So next topic. Sam's a huge, huge Yankees fan, as am I. We've gone to a bunch of Yankees games together. Shout out to Eddie Cho as a, a Baltimore <laughs> Orioles fan. Um, so I I just want to get your quick thoughts. I haven't really been following the MLB season other than like I just know that the Yankees have been basically walking zombies in terms of their injured list and all the players that are that have been on the DL. It's It's kind of concerning that all these players are dropping like fives but at the same time it's also really cool to see some of these young players and unknown players that i've never heard of coming up from the minors and contributing to a team that's leading the al east yeah i think it's unfortunate we've had so many injuries i think no judge if you look if you look at the opening day roster i think two-thirds of that team uh that starting lineup is has been on the IL but uh yeah as you said uh this had op- has opened up opportunities for farm system players to be called up and ultimately play well in the league and uh if I'm just going down the IL list you look at Didi Gregorius, Stanton, Betances, Sabathia, Severino, Judge, Greg Bird, and well, Duhar. that's not a surprise. Greg Bird's not a surprise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's waiting for a broken foot like yeah. any day. Yeah, Tulo, uh, Montgomery, Ellsbury. El- El- I think that's yeah, yeah. Given, but, but still, it's like a that's significant injury is uh, especially for marquee players that would have tanked pretty much all teams except for the Yankees. Like to see the Yankees do this well has been really impressive. I think what's his name Domingue. Uh, Domingo Germain has been really, really, like at least from the numbers that he's I saw, uh, he's been what, pretty been like solid. Eight and two or something. Yeah, like he's that. been pretty solid for the Yankees. So just different guys stepping up in the starting rotation. I think ultimately, when the postseason comes, their rotation's gonna be. That's gonna be the question mark of this team, obviously. Like it's been the past couple of years. I don't know how you feel about that. And yeah. maybe past possible reinforcements of maybe Dallas Keuchel coming so into play. I'm looking at Herman. He's uh, nine nine and one on the year. So yeah, good surprise. And yeah, he's definitely holding it together for kind of that uh, rotation that's been hobbled by injuries. But uh, yeah, I I think uh, even though we've been injured, uh, you're seeing a lot of these players step up. You look at the depth chart half the half of these names before the season you wouldn't have really yeah we could probably play like player or like player or normal person like yeah yeah, yeah. like if i said said a name like if you told me geo ursula before the yeah i would have just thought he was like the the i don't know the deli man down the street (laughs) or something like that it's it's crazy to see like someone like Gio Urshela kind of get his chance similar to what Miggy and Andujar got yeah. last year um, and really be able to step up and perform in place of Andujar. So it's you, cool so to you, see that. You mentioned uh, Dallas Keuchel and apparently uh, we're front runners for, to sign him. But uh, I think you mentioned uh, something to do with comp- uh, like comp. Comp- yeah, yeah, compensation yeah. picks um, being given up. Um, if Keigel signs before June, so it's May thirty first as of today. So he he'll be coming up in terms of I yeah. think I th- possibly I think, uh, signing. I think he's supposed to make a decision either like this weekend or next weekend. Right, which yeah. makes sense because it's post June. Yeah. So that that totally makes sense in terms of the timing of everything. Um, he would be a nice piece to add. I don't. I mean, obviously. With the 
lack of a spring training and um, lack of games and all that stuff, I wonder how long it takes him to get up to speed. But the Yankees have stayed afloat without him, so it would just be a nice... Yeah. Nice piece to add, knowing that he's had playoff experience and all that ty- type of stuff. There's a financial aspect that comes into play because I think Hal Steinbrenner has been clear on uh, tax the, bill yeah. and all that type of stuff. So I I believe he's asking for 18 million uh, prorated deal. So uh, what is that like nine? Is it half the season now? Like eight, ten million dollars probably. I I think for the rest of the season. I think no. I think that's factoring in like through through the end of the season. It would be eighteen. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So I think he he was originally asking for twenty twenty five to thirty. So I think they're factoring the the first part of the season that he missed. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be uh, (laughs) that seems like a lot of money, but it might it's a pricey rental. But we'll see if. Yankees fight or any other team. Yeah, it's kind of in, it. it's kind of interesting. I was reading an article between about uh, Keuchel and Kimbrel not being signed and what what's kind of like up with that. Yeah, and I mean they mentioned the comp picks and all that type of stuff, but it it just seems like both of those guys and I don't I forget who their agents are, but they've massively botched the. I guess the read like of the market, read of the market, and mm-hmm. their asking price, and you kind of even saw that before the season started with the Harper situ- the Harper Machado situation in terms of them not e- like not being able to read the market the right way, yeah, and like them getting the like I think that both of them got close to missing part of spring training, right? Yeah, they're wrong. they yeah. signed their deals pretty late. I think Harper was the first and then Manny was like closer uh to springtime. Yeah, yeah. So they both like were very like close to missing time and it just seems like these while both those guys got their deals, I think it's harder and harder now in the MLB to get those massive deals because I would say I'm sure sabermetrics and analytics have played a role in this, but it it just doesn't make sense to spend that much money on one. Yeah, one you player. look at like the Hanley Ramirez or Pablo Sandoval deals. They ultimately threw a ton of money at a guy, and uh, whether it's motivation or not, they end up not fulfilling uh, the, those contract agreements. Uh, and like playing as a player they were signed to be. And you kind of see like what Tampa Bay is doing right yeah, now. Yeah, built built through the draft, built through your farm system and, and there's we're they're at a quarter of the payroll of some of the bigger teams. And they're sitting in second, I think, in yeah. the East. So they were first for a while. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. And they've like they do weird things like with their rotation, starting starting bullpen guys, start having closers start I, I forget what they they're called, like like the one inning starters, basically. Uh, they're cr- kind of creative rotation. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So they're they're doing all these like different types of things to make up for those uh, perceived disadvantages. I mean, maybe that's what baseball needs. Uh, kind of little shift in the paradigm. Right. So it's kind of fascinating to talk about all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of hopeful. Like, I I feel like as a as a Yankee fan. I I feel like over the years I've become more of a fair weather Yankee fan just because not that because they haven't been that successful this century like when I was growing up they were like huge we were we right, were spoiled right we're on top and it's kind of hard to I would say keep up with this long of a season but I guess it's like one of those check in and then check out until like maybe like trade deadline time and then starting in August it'll start yeah start so picking I'll, I'll, up. I'll get into my watching patterns it's like you'll watch the first month of the season uh you'll kind of tail off all-star break you'll watch and then the last month of the season and then playoffs hopefully if you like uh when the team makes it right right so like post like post NBA I'll probably start tuning in a little bit more uh heavily once yeah, my attention is when there's nothing that. else on right exactly yeah. so um 
yeah, I'm I'm curious to, to see if the Yankees um keep it going. Shout out, quick shout out to Hyunjin Ryu, Korean guy, lighting up the league, possible Cy Young candidate, probably the first half Cy Young like winner with the way he's performed. He's done really well for the LA Dodgers. So um really happy for him that he's been able to do that especially with all the injuries he's had over the past couple of years of him struggling to come back. And he seems like he's been able to pick it up and get it together for the Dodgers. He just straight up looks like an out-of-shape Korean Ajashi. Yeah. But he, he can like, the ball really fast. He's like what the one of those guys, Korean Ajashis, you see at the Pojong Machas at, at like uh, 3 a.m. in the morning eating like Tapoki and like drinking soju. <laughs> so it's like, he, yeah, he's it's, straight it's up. It's a Babe Ruth diet, just Korean version. Yeah, totally. That Tamgip side is really got, get, getting to him. But he's pitching really, really well um, and doing really solid for the Dodgers. So something's ro- working for him. Um, so I don't have much else to cover and talk about. We've, we kind of ran the whole gamut of yeah, sports. We popcorn over every type of sport yeah so we kind of just like did the drive-by of like all the things that uh we want to talk about and you know me me and sam have become have been long like been friends for a really long time uh known this guy since second grade and we've enjoyed a lot of big sports moments together um as well so it's really fun to kind of um, talk sports with him, reconnect on the Jets and the Yankees, and all I have to say is we're enemies tomorrow. Go <laughs> Liverpool. Uh, Come on, w- you Spurs. <laughs> never walk alone. <laughs> so um, thanks a lot, guys, for listening and tuning into this podcast. Um, just look it up on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you guys listen to podcasts. And um, in terms of... Uh, different podcasts coming out um, next week. We'll, me and Andrew will probably talk about um, different things in the middle of the series of the NBA Finals, and we'll be rolling out a bunch of like off-season NBA podcasts as well. So thanks, guys, again for listening. And if you guys haven't rated or subscribed to the podcast, please do that. Thanks. Peace and love, Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs>